So, great big good morning to everyone. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm senior pastor Chuck Blair. I want to say, like, anytime you're in town, please stop by to be part of our small studio audience here that meets on Sundays. It's just a great way that I get a chance to connect with you, have a conversation. And a reminder that once a month we do something called Lunch with the Pastor, which is fun. You can sign up for that on our homepage, www.newchurchlive.tv, where we go out for pizza right after the service. Again, a great way to connect with our, those who are joining us as a studio audience today. And, it, and today's kind of an interesting service. And, and, and Curtis Childs, who is our executive director, you know, we were batting some ideas around and, and looking at, again, how do we serve such a large internet audience that's all over the place with all different kinds of, of uh, you know, things that are on their minds. So we came up with this idea of a series called Five Ideas That Could Change Your Life. And Curtis gave part one last week. I'm giving part two today. And, and the point of it was this. Curtis said, all right, Chuck. So you're seated over there at a wedding. You're doing a wedding. We do a lot of weddings here at New Church Live because it's a great way to get young families involved in our church. You're out there doing a wedding. And somebody says, so tell me about the new church. What are the parts that really excite you? So Curtis said, checklist five of them. So that's how we came up with this series. Five different things that I think a Christian New Church perspective can really offer to humanity. And none of them are necessarily revolutionary. None of them are like, wow, I never thought of that before. I mean, some of them might be for some folks, but they're just, they're just good common sense. They're good common sense for good people who are trying to do life a little bit better. That's simple. And in and, and our particular faith, like, we're really big on, like, how do we serve and, and, and how do we sort of figure this out? Just trying to do life a little bit better with a little bit more meaning, a little bit more richness, a little bit more love. And that gets us into today's service. So as we're going through this list, Curtis looked at variety as perfection, a wonderful thought. And, and this week we're going to look at love above all else. The incredible importance of love. Love is the central part of Christianity. It's so easy to think that, no, 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 it's really a belief, it's really a belief system. And yeah, there's a belief system, but the belief system, folks, it's just a bridge. That's all it is. And where's that bridge going? To get us to all understand how to love better in this world, how to be more loving people. And that's not always a, you know, that's not always an easy question. I, one of my, uh, one of my, truly memorable preaching experiences was, was going to a Baptist church on a, on a Sunday off. And uh, they asked any visitors, I raised my hand, I said, Pastor Chuck Blair from New Church Live, they call me up front. I get to seat with all the other, sit with all the other pastors. And then partway through the service, the pastor goes, and now we'll hear from Pastor Chuck. Hands me the microphone, and I'm supposed to preach like right on the spot. So what do you preach about there? Well, I preached on this beautiful little quote from Shane Claiborne down in Philadelphia. Shane said this. He said, if we lose this generation, and I think he's talking about all of us, actually. If we lose this generation, it won't be because we didn't entertain them. It'll be because we didn't challenge them. That's interesting. And so a lot of looking at love today is going to look at love in, in challenging circumstances. How do we deal with love in challenging circumstances? And the question, and you're welcome to text and answer into me any time on this question, what is it that love truly asks of us? What is it that love truly asks of us? 
And my hope today is to actually get us all a little bit on the hook with that. Yeah, what is love really asking of me here? And if you get a thought for our online audience, and again, we know a lot of people watch throughout the week, doesn't matter, you can text me anytime at 215-740-3662. That's 215-740-3662 with any thoughts you might have. So what is it? Let's, let's start to start playing a little bit with that as, as we get ready for our first song. You know, you know, some of it, folks, some of it's funny. I know with, with our family, we just got done with family vacation. We're there at this big family dinner. And uh, we're going out to dinner, and, and my daughter, my oldest daughter, orders a, we're going to get the name right here, a savory puff pastry. So it arrives, and of course, her brother says, that's just pizza. Right? And you got to love that in a family, they can actually argue about that. If I did that to you at dinner, you'd be like, we're never going out with Chuck again. But you got to love that my kids are doing, my kids, I mean, they're in their 30s. You know, like, like, here they are, they're having this great time. Like, no, that's pizza. No, it's a savory puffed pastry. you got to love that. So, so that part of love, there's a funny part of love. And that funny part of love gives sort of into the easy part of love. I was listening to this wonderful lecture by a professor uh, up at up University of Chicago, and he, had a, he was talking about marriage, and, and he said, you know, sometimes love is easy. And he called that wing-to-wing love. And that's kind of where you're flying along. I think of geese in a V. You know, sometimes this one's leading, sometimes that one's leading. But it's always wing-to-wing. That's easy. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty easy to figure out what love looks like in those moments. At least, at least for me, it's, it's much easier than when it's really hard. When life is hard, figuring out what love looks like is really hard. And what he called that, and I love this this idea, folks. Try this on. He said, that is oar-to-oar love. In other words, you're both in the boat, you're seated side by side, and you're each rowing. And that's, that's a beautiful analogy because so much of life is getting, yes, this is hard, and we're really working at rowing in the same directions as best we can. So what I want to do is I'm going to read for you this story, and then we're going to go into our first song. And this is about when love is hard. Context of this story. And in the new church, we read this as poetic truth, not as literal truth. All right, so we look for what's underneath it. Adam and Eve, first two people in, in, in the Bible who were created, have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain gets jealous of his brother Abel, kills him, and that's where we pick up the story here. God is... God is talking to Cain about this horrendous act that he did. So God said, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So here's God going like, look, you really screwed this up. You're not going to be able to stay in the place where you were. And then it goes on. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. And this is where it's interesting, where it shifts. But, the but is a big one there. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord, will, the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So here's this, here's this horrendous event, right? And we're going to talk about it some more. Here's this horrendous event. And God, yet again, spins it a little bit. Spins it away from the way we might think he would handle something like that. And it's not just about a story thousands of years old about Cain. 
It's about what is love really asking of us? Especially, especially when it's hard, especially when we've been hurt. Like, what is love asking of, of us in those moments? So we're going to look at that question and try to get to the heart of that matter. Welcome to New Church Live. Good morning, everybody. said you found someone and I thought of all the bad luck and the struggles we went through how I lost me and you lost you what are these voices outside love's open door make us throw off our contentment and beg for something more I'm learning to live without you miss you sometimes the more I know the less I understand all the things I thought I knew I'm learning again I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter but my will gets weak and my thoughts seem to scatter so I think it's about forgiveness forgiveness even if even if you don't love me all these times are so uncertain the yearning undefined and the people filled with rage we all need a little tenderness how can love survive in such a graceless age the trust and self-assurance the to happiness are the very things we kill, I guess. Our pride and competition cannot fill these empty arms. And the work I put between us, you know it doesn't keep me warm. I'm learning to live without you now. But I miss you, baby. The more I know, the less I understand all the things I thought I knew. Learning again, I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but everything changes, and my friends seem to scatter, but I think it's about forgiveness, forgiveness, even if, even if you don't love me anymore. There are people in your life who've come and gone, they let you know they hurt your pride you better put it all behind you baby because life goes on keep carrying that anger it'll lead you up inside baby I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter but my will gets weak and my thoughts seem to scatter but I think it's about forgiveness forgiveness even if even if you don't love me anymore I've been trying to get down 
to the heart of the matter, but my will gets weak. But my thoughts seem to scatter, but I think it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness, even if, even if you don't love me. Forgiveness, forgiveness, even if, even if you don't love me anymore. Thank you, Emily. Beautiful song. It, it, is a, it is a really interesting topic to look at. Like, what does love really ask of us? Because some of the time, right, the, the hurt is so great that there isn't space, probably necessarily so, for there to be reconciliation. There are some relationships, I'm thinking particularly where there's abuse is involved, where, where the relationship has ruptured and shifted, and there isn't going to be a coming back together. And we have to hold that in our mind, too. So, so please just, just park that in your mind, that, that that's part of this, too. You know, and, and you're the best judge of that, not me, obviously. And there's this fascinating, fascinating part, right? Like, what is love asking of us? This is which we've gotten a number of answers in from, from different people. This is what, what some of them have said. Uh, to resist judgment, to always try to put oneself in another's shoes, consider the road others may have walked. Beautiful line there. Kindness, patience, faith, gratitude. Another person wrote, love is patience. It's interesting. I, and I, it was interesting, right, that patience showed up a couple of times with people. Yeah, you know, what does love ask of us when we've been hurt? A little, certain level of patience. Now, let's take a look at, at this, this quote we've been talking about, folks. Like, here's the quote from Genesis 4. It says, anyone, therefore, anyone who kills Cain will suffer sevenfold vengeance. So Jehovah put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would strike him. Now, again, we, we preached a little ways ago about God is often breaking God's own rules. And there's something a little counterintuitive to this. But I know for me, my mind shifts right into this line. So Jehovah put a mark on Cain. It kind of like loses everything else. Jehovah gave him a mark. No, no, think of it like a tattoo. Gave him a mark. Now, now that, that mark, folks, I think it's, it's real easy, and I can get into this very easily. You, know, you think of that mark like it's like that you know, final judgment. There's a final judgment, boom, done. That final judgment, that idea of that mark, that we have decided that you are all this, that, or the other thing, period, end of story. There's no trying to see the world that maybe there's other, place, other pieces that are part of this, just this pure, pure judgment. And that judgment means that what we often do, if we're going to give them a mark, it'll say guilty of everything. <laughs> guilty of everything. How many of us remember back in high school reading The Scarlet Letter? Remember that book? A woman had to read, a, had to wear a, a scarlet A because she committed adultery. That's sort of, I think, what we can hold if we just read The Mark of Cain. We'll look at that and we'll go like, yep, there's The Mark of Cain, right there. But that's reading text without context. 
That's reading text without context. And God's context is always much richer than what we can imagine. And that's why I think that's part of what churches should be trying to do on synagogues and mosques. We should all be trying to like see these things in, in maybe even more sophisticated ways. Ways that allow for there to be a little grace around the edges. That can help us to think through. That can help us to consider. Now again, I want to come back and to say there are definitive times for that kind of final judgment. You know, final judgment in terms of, again, I, I think of, keep coming back to the idea of abuse, an abusive relationship. We're like, nope, this is definitely cut off. I think we can hold that, regard that as true, regard that as necessary, and still start to look at this as a way where we can expand our understanding of this idea of the mark of Cain. Somebody who was obviously guilty, did something horrible, and, and God has a clear, clear, clear path here that gives us a little more understanding of how we can look at those things, whether we're on the side of having done them or whether we're on the side of being the victim of them. So the way that works, folks, like if you look at, you know, the, the full quote, well, these are the parts that we miss. Therefore, anyone who kills Cain will suffer sevenfold vengeance. So, Cain, so Jehovah put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him should strike him. That's, that's really interesting. Right? Because it just, it just bumps it out. Like, here God is saying, there's a, there's a clear cost for what you did. And I think all of us know that, right? All of us have made mistakes where we wish we could go back and do it again, no doubt. But we know that those mistakes hurt people. And we know that those mistakes can live with people. I know at, at the end of the year, over my years working with, with, uh, you know, with students as a, as a, in the high school, different high school formats, I really tried as I got older to get, to get really clear about apologizing to everybody at the end of the year. Because I, I, I'm sure like there were things that I said or I did that, that, that really hurt people. You know, and I imagine as all teachers, if you were a teacher at all, you probably feel the same way. Like, oh, I just missed on that, or I got angry, I got upset, I didn't understand. And we want to start to see that a little bigger. Yep, there is accountability when we make mistakes. And then there's something else that starts to come into, the, into it as well. And maybe what that is, folks, is this idea of accountability and forgiveness this context of accountability and forgiveness. We're going to come back to this. Uh, you know, I'm going to circle back on this a number of times. That's so important, right? So the mistake gets made. There's clear accountability. Clearly, God is saying, you can't go back to the way life was. You just can't do it. And I think some mistakes are like that. Whether, again, we're on the, on the side of, of doing that to someone else or being on the receiving side, there are certain mistakes that we can make that there's no going back to life before that. And at the same time, there can be this, this, this nuanced sense of forgiveness. And we have to hold love above all else as part of that. Love above all else. And, and that love, and I'm going to come back to this again, but I want to really reinforce this point. That love, folks, it's not soft. 
It's not a, a just sort of a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not the feeling of love with, that we get, again, flying wingtip to wingtip. It's a different kind of love. It's a deep love. It's a, it's a dare I say, as C.S. Lewis would call it, a fierce love. It's interesting looking at how Emanuel Swedenborg treats stories like this. Emanuel Swedenborg to this denomination is what Martin Luther is to a Lutheran church. And he talks extensively about, yeah, and, and this is stuff for consideration. It's not like thou shalt see it this way. This is just, this is how to think about it. This is how, maybe one way to think about it. And I love this bit. He says, there's a different way to think of the mark of Cain. Of course, there's one way where we can say guilty of everything, the scarlet letter, all that. And then there's a very different way that when I read it, when I was, was doing research for this particular thought, I was like, wow, that's, that is actually revolutionary. What, what he does is he says, yeah, that Mark of Cain may be symbolized by this beautiful Jewish tradition of the Teflon and phylacteries. And if you look at this picture here, folks, you can see the little wooden box on the soldier's head. And you can see the little wooden box on his left shoulder. That goes back to Old Testament teachings, beautiful Old Testament teachings. And you had these little boxes, and in them were these four commands. And they were put there literally so they would be front and center. Like, like this is God going, don't forget it. Like, literally, it's like we might say, say uh, you know, tie, I was, tie a string to your finger so you don't forget. This is like, literally, like, hold it on your forehead so you don't forget. Put it on your arm so you don't forget. That's how important this is. And what's important? What do you think is in those boxes? Reminders to love above all else. This is one of the things that is in those boxes. When I was doing research, this is written out. Put in those boxes this beautiful line. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Mm. It's so powerful, right? Keep front and center. Loving God. And and that idea, right, just, 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 just can you feel in your body how that starts to shift things? Yeah, I've got to remember to love God. Loving God from a Judeo-Christian perspective and loving the neighbor are one and the same. If you love other people, you love God. If you love God, you'll learn to love other people. People are really dangerous if they think it's just about loving God and who cares how you treat other people. That's dangerous. But that's not what this is saying. And then the beautiful part of the line, too, these commandments that I give you today are to be held on your hearts. Like, that's so good. This isn't supposed to be like some big intellectual concept. This and this, hold it on your heart. Hold love on your heart. Now, is that always easy to do? Not by a long shot. 
But it's interesting to think of that mark and to think of that mark that's both identifiable to other people and to ourselves. So again, it's, it's sometimes we're going to be in the role of having done something really hurtful to someone else. Sometimes we will have something hurtful done to us. Regardless, this mark is there. And, and, and thinking about this, this mark, folks, that idea, that idea that he said it comes down to, this is how Swedenborg summarizes it, which is where we get the title for this sermon. He says, love above all the other commandments. Love above all other commandments. That, that's, a, that's such a richly powerful concept, right? Because, folks, just you, you think about like our lives, like going through our lives, there, there are people, I, you know, just speaking for myself, there are some people who have a really, really hard time, this is honest, wishing well for because I've been hurt by those people. And again, it, it obviously leads to the question, well, I've probably done the same thing to others. Imagine you have too. And just imagine a world where we go through, and even for those people who have hurt us, some of whom we have cut off relationships with, and we, we buy a good choice we'll never have an actual relationship with again. But even those relationships, we still see them. This is so important. Let's take a breath right here. Even those relationships, we place a mark of Cain on them. And it's not a mark guilty of everything. It's a mark that says love that God's love resides there too. That's, I believe, why from this particular denomination, we are so emphatic about goodwill. That even though you may not be able to relate to other people, even though there may be a, a separation, that, that even in that, your job is still to wish them well. You may have to do it from a thousand miles away. <laughs> And your job is still to wish them well. Because this process, like folks, that question again, what is it that love truly asks of us? Well, it asks us to be part of this process. It asks us to step in. I think in this day and age, it, we're not getting asked enough of that. We're not, as I said about Shane Claiborne, we're really not being challenged to step into that. It's much easier, as I've said a number of times, to borrow Solzhenitsyn's words, to, to again see the, the, the veil of between good and evil be between us as the pure and them as the impure, instead of knowing that we all carry both. And how is it that, that we find that love that actually has an edge to it? I'm not getting the right language I want on it, but I, but I hope it's landing in there somewhere. And that comes down again to this accountability and forgiveness. Now, part of the accountability, an interesting concept, is that, is that evil does carry with it its own kind of punishment in so many ways. And that literally can be a natural consequence in life. And, and it, it, it as well can be like a judicial consequence, all those things. And, and that idea that evil, evil carries with it its own consequences, and it also carries with it its own fear. Like, when we make these mistakes, or when other people make mistakes, they're feared up, as one of my buddies would say. 
There's a fear that comes along with that. And we see that with Cain. Like he was afraid people were going to kill him. For good reason he was afraid of that. But then there's this forgiveness part. And forgiveness here, it's not God saying what you did didn't matter or didn't hurt anyone. He's saying you won't die. Life will go on. This story is interesting because if you just look at how the sense of the letter works, Cain is all of our relatives. It's all of our ancestry. Now, I don't believe we literally go back to that. I think we're talking in terms of poetic truth. But that idea that the poem starts here, right? That there is this, this real challenge and how, does, how do we kind of live into that and live with that. Now, when we can work at holding people, other people and ourselves under that mark of love, I think there's light ways to do that and there's heavy ways to do it. I want to share with you a light way to do it. This is a very, very light way. And this, is a, this was just a fun little one. You know, I'm, I really enjoy Anne Lamott a great deal. I talk about her a great, a lot, great deal in church because she, she offers so many beautiful things. And she said one of her favorite things to do is this little sermonette called Love, Chosen, and Safe. And so what she does is that she teaches Sunday school at her church out there in the, in the San Francisco Bay region. And so the way she does that is that she'll, she'll look at what the kids are wearing and she'll say, I know, I can see someone, these are little kids, I can see someone with red boots and they're loved, chosen, and they're safe. Who do you think I'm talking about? And of course, the kids like raising their hands, shooting their hands way up. I know someone who's loved, chosen, and safe, who has blue boots. Who am I talking about? Raise their hand, raise their hand, raise their hand. I love the beauty of that. Love, chosen, and safe. We're all that. We're all that. As Emily comes out for the middle song, just think about that. Think about how that can resonate. Love, chosen, and safe. That, that, that lighter piece, but that, but that core of understanding who we are. And understanding as well, you know, that we that's someone who loves me, that there are people who love us, that, that these mistakes, that there's, there's that no matter what, no matter what, sort of the no matter whatness of God, we have to consistently remember to love, to love above all else.
So tell the saint of lost souls where to find me. Softly sleeping here in the deep end of someone who loves me. You let me cry it out Cause you know that sometimes I can't stop And still I'm seeking how To stand up when the bottom drops The weight of all the world Can blind me to its beauty But every time I need to be reminded I know you will And say you're still Someone who loves me I try to push it down But it comes back Faster and harder To keep my head above the water Surrender's just a word Until you try it out And see how hard it is to hurt With someone else around I'm the worst I've ever been Afraid of almost everything the skies are clear, but storms are always coming. Your gift to me is just to be bracing for the winds I always summon. My home, my heart, thank God you are someone who loves me. Someone who loves me Someone who loves me Thank you. That song was so spot on, we were laughing before church saying we should probably just do it three times, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's so spot on, right? Someone who loves me, someone who loves me. Folks, and, and it, so we can look at it, this, this, this Mark of Cain, and, and there's beautiful light ways to do it, as we saw with Anne Lamott. And there's, there's ways that, again, move us into kind of the gravity, the gravitas of really learning to ask that question, answer it. What is it that love truly asks of us? I want to share with you the way one author put it. This is from the author Andy Crouch. And what he said is, is he goes back to, to arguably the most famous, well, one of the most famous lines of theology. Though so important, the Bible starts out with it, you know, that, that we are made in God's image and likeness. You know, and God's image and likeness, God's image and likeness. That's, that's beautiful. I mean, Judeo-Christian heritage, incredibly powerful concept there. You are made in God's image and likeness. It's not that you're God, but you're part of the program, folks. 
And so what Andy said is that, that he really has to work on this. He has to work on not just seeing that as like some nice ideal, but even more. So, so the nice ideal can be this. It can be where we look at a mosaic, uh, you know, lots of pictures of lots of people, and it goes like, oh, look, look at all the variety, all the colors of the rainbow, all the different people, all the different things that are created. We can look at that and go like, oh, that's God's image and likeness. And we're right. That's right. That's right. And I think it's a great place to start. And then he had this beautiful way that he goes about deepening that concept. He says he goes out on a walk or he looks at something like a, like a subway, subway place in New York City. And, and he walks and as he's walking, he's looking at people, he's going like, oh, that's God's image. Oh, that, that person's God's image. Oh, they're God's image. Oh, they're God's image. Like they're just literally going down the line and going, that's God's image. 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 Of course, part of me goes, get off your phone, but that's God's image. You know, all those pieces. It's interesting, right? That's God's image. Why would he do that that way? Well, this was his insight, and I think it's brilliant. His insight is that he wants to see God not just in all the faces of humanity, and this ties directly into the mark of Cain, but in all the states of humanity. Think about that. So he can pass the person who has a look of despair on their face and he goes, that's God's image, God's there too. He can look at the person having the best day of their life, they're thrilled. They won the, what was it, 1.7 quadzillion dollar lottery, whatever it was. Their joy, that's God is there too, that's God's image. He can look at the new mom who's feeling frazzled, wondering how she's going to get the baby stroller up to the second floor. That's God's image. God's there too. I love that. Because I, I think that is, is a piece and parcel of this, of this mark of Cain. Where we start to stamp all these little pieces with love. Including, friends, the hard pieces. Wing to wing easy, or to or hard. But that's where, that's, where, that's where love becomes real. Here's an idea for it. Like, like we're never really, honesty's never a, a challenge until we're required to be honest and it costs us something. Maybe it's the same with love. Love is easy until love costs us something. Until we're challenged. And maybe what it's costing us is our own view, our own perspective, our self-righteousness. You know, you, you fill in the blank. But it's, a, it's an intriguing position to have. It, it calls us to the Christian kind of work. I mean, I think that's why Jesus, like, there isn't, there's nobody he didn't hang out with. Uh, prostitutes, uh, tax collectors, Pharisees, centurions, like all the, it was the hoo-hoo. You take the whole demographic slice of ancient Israel, and there's at least a, one story about every single part of that slice where he hung out with them. 
That seems to me to attach into what we're talking about here today. So what is it, friends, that love truly asks? Here's a beautiful quote by Chris Kratzer. Forgiveness is not always retrust, reconnection, reconciliation, or restoration. It is the emotional release of a person from the debt they owe that they cannot or will not repay. That's a beautiful line right there. And this last line, so good. I would definitely take a screenshot of this if you're watching at home. It creates the possibility for relational healing, but not the certainty of it. That's huge. So we have this question, like, like what, what is it that love truly asks of us? Well, maybe it's this. This is really big. Maybe what love asks of us is to keep open the possibility of relational healing. Maybe the whole point is not like some final judgment kind of hammer-dropping answer. Maybe it's just this tenderness that keeps the edges soft enough that there is always a possibility for relational healing. Does that always happen? No. I think as this author puts, you know, it's not always. We're not always going to reconnect. We're not always going to reconcile. We're not always going to see the relationship restored. And sometimes we do. Our job is just to keep the possibility open. Not even keeping the possibility open, believing like if I keep it open, it will happen. No, it's letting go of that idea. It needs to even happen. It's saying my job is to as best I can just to keep the possibility open. That's it. And it may just be in my own mind. I may never actually say those words. Because these are the words that are to be, as they said, on my heart. That are to be here. That are to be here. And I've got to take that love and I've got to brand other people with it too. That's the love we're called to. That's why Jesus talks again and again, not about sort of a a light love, why he talks about agape love. And if you hear that word agape and you hear it as something that doesn't put you on the hook, you didn't read the definition. (laughs) It totally puts us on the hook. Because it's a love whose basic characteristic is the sacrifice, is self-sacrifice. And it's not, you know, so much of spirituality is getting, it's not the self that's being sacrificed that we think it is. It's the self that's small, that's petty, that we're better off without anyways. That's the part God's asking us to get rid of. Because then we're free. Then we can truly love. Accountability, forgiveness, the whole thing. Together. So, friends, as we close today's service, think about how you can live that this week. Really take a second here. Where in your heart do you need to hold open the possibility for relational healing. 
Where do you need to see the mark of Cain on yourself and for this week on other people? A mark that somehow has both this accountability and this forgiveness thing together. But they're always woven, right? It's always woven. What's it woven with? Love. That's our life. That's our call. That's one of the precious things we're here in this life to learn. Amen. What we're going to do now, folks, is I'm going to do a prayer. Then I'm going to offer the Our Father prayer, followed by a blessing, and then we'll have a wonderful last song from Emily. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to share, to share both here with our studio audience as well as sharing with all people over all times these truths that are eternal. Help us, Lord, to feel ourselves with a smile a little bit on the hook this Sunday, a little bit on the hook in terms of learning to live with love, a love that is greater than all commandments, a love that is reflective of your words, of Jesus' words, that I will not leave you an orphan. Help us, Lord, to live into this place of accountability and forgiveness, both with ourselves and with others, and allow us to mark all those places with love. Be with us on this week ahead. In your name we pray, amen. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, bring you peace, and bring you home. Amen. to sing along. I love when people sing along. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy Nothing you can make that can't be made Nothing you can save that can't be saved Nothing you can do but you can learn how to be you in time It's easy Here we go Oh you
Thank you if you sang along. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody.